We all want to belong and participate in something greater than ourselves. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders. Rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Everybody, before we start the episode, I have an important announcement to make. We are going to start a new feature on the show, an AMA at the end, where you'll get a chance to interact with me and I get to answer any question you have. AMA stands for Ask Me Anything. And so if you have any questions around your workplace, things that you want around productivity, managing your team, scaling the organization, or about me or Mindvalley, go ahead and email me the question on jason at mindvalley.com. I look forward to hearing all of your questions and we'll get a chance to interact at the end of future podcast episodes. Now let's get started. This was recorded a few weeks ago before the coronavirus crisis happened. And I want you to know that the principles of leading with grace are now more important than ever. So if you notice that some of the content doesn't seem to take into account the events of the current world, know that's because it was recorded before, yet the content is so valuable during these exact times. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Superhumans at Work. I'm your host, Jason Campbell, and the guest that I'm bringing to you today, John Baldoni, is a leader when it comes to teaching all the concept that it takes when it comes to becoming a leader yourself. Now, this man has written over 14 books that have been translated in over 10 languages, and he is a sought-after executive coach and leadership educator that has worked with companies when it comes to packaged goods, automobiles, finance, healthcare, you name it. He's worked with those industries, and he's helped them a lot about understanding what is the new way of doing leadership that has completely shifted the paradigm around this command, conquer, control, which has been proven not to work. But what are the practical things that you can do to come up and do your leadership in a better way? And his latest book, Grace, A Leader's Guide to a Better Us, is teaching you all the ways to do that. And we're going to dig deep into those concepts and make sure that you understand the new ways of thinking and how to apply it, no matter what position you have within the organization or if you're leading an organization yourself. With that, John, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, Jason, thanks for that warm welcome. I appreciate that, and I like your introduction. I liked your dispensing of the command and control concept of leadership. Unfortunately, that management philosophy does does persist, uh, but it's so much better when you bring people along with you rather than in spite of you. So let's dive right into that because a lot of this leadership practices, I'm seeing these trends that are emerging where people are acknowledging that, hey, when I start making it not about me, I make it about the team, I'm investing in others. It's showing signs that the companies are striving better and individuals are growing as well. Is this something that is just working now recently or has this been like a secret sauce that's just finally coming to the knowledge of the people? That's a very good question. What you're describing is what we call the servant leadership. And servant leadership probably has its roots in certainly in what Robert Greenleaf wrote 60 years ago. And he was actually making reference in a way to the example of Jesus. We can take it in the sense of shepherd of one's flock, caring for those others. But the way servant leadership is practiced today, it's a secular concept, and it's a sense of putting others ahead of you, which led me, in a way, to my work in purpose and eventually into grace. So I look at purpose, many have said this, but it's the why of what we do. It's what gets us up in the morning. 
And if we think about purpose, purpose from an organizational standpoint, or even personal, sparks our sense of vision and our mission. Vision is our sense of becoming, where I want to take my company, where I want to take myself. It's becoming. Mission is our doing and our building. Usually our vision stays for generations or so, can. Mission can be revitalized when companies take new directions. But there's something else that purpose does, and it sparks our value system. And that's where grace comes in. Grace facilitates the core concept of values, which are belonging. We all want to belong and participate in something greater than ourselves. Grace becomes that facilitator that focuses on that. So purpose and grace go hand in hand. And as from a leadership perspective, I find them intriguing. And I love how this whole purpose, as you stated, is the why of what we do. But a lot of times, you know, we're sitting in this place where we're recognizing these trends. They haven't come out of nowhere. It's been a 60 years ago. It was being mentioned that when you lead, leading others, helping others grow. Okay, we're starting to understand that this is a concept that works. But the how, the how is still a little bit of a mystery. And I love that the word grace actually spells out a bit of the how. And this is the purpose of this book is how to practically apply this new paradigm. Right. Many organizations do achieve their vision and their mission in spite of people. They don't embody their value proposition without people. Grace becomes, again, that facilitator that enables what it really comes down to, belonging, yes, but the connection, eliminating the spaces between us. Grace works to bring us together enables us to connect more effectively. When we think about grace, the concept again is most often associated with faith, but it predates that. The Greeks had that concept, a pre-Christian era. But also, I think we are wired as humans to be caring for others. There's something called the altruism gene. So this is something familial. We see it from animals, birds, whatever. So I think we're all wired to connect with others in a concept. What's happening today and why I think grace is so critical is we are losing this connection with others. Why? Because we work in disparate workplaces and so much of our, quote, connections are based on cell phones, okay? I don't know much about biology, but I do know the human mind was not engineered to look at a three-by-five video screen. <laughs> so, I mean, it's fine, but that's not a connection. And so if we view that as a connection, it cheapens our own emotional quotient. But more importantly, it leads to let's call them bad behaviors. So we use the term social media, and I think so often it's anti-social media because it becomes a platform for criticism. This is especially dangerous for children, cyberbullying. Children, they're wonderful. I'm a parent of a grandson, very young, but they don't have the emotional depth yet to know how to react to negative criticism, especially from a peer. You know, you or I, I can call you a name, which is shame on me, Jason, but you're going to say, well, Baldoni's a jerk, you know, but if you were 12 years old or 10 years old, that might have a more deleterious effect. So again, grace is that facilitative thing that 
appeals to our better nature, our better angels, if you will. And I was going to say, how did leaderships and the companies find themselves actually looking at setting those purposes and values? And you mentioned don't necessarily live up to those values. And they actually start, let's say, extracting from the organization as the most efficient way of leading. And why did we get there when we know it doesn't necessarily have the best effects long term? Basically, because until very recently, and this is, I'm drawing upon the work of the great Peter Drucker, is the two organizational structures that man knew was the Catholic Church, which is hierarchical, and individual militaries, as well as governmental structures, which were monarchical. So it's the person at the top that makes the decisions. Well, that worked for a time, but it doesn't work now. Why? Possibly, again, because of facilitative communication. We know more about things. All power does not reside with the king, okay? And if we have more knowledge, with knowledge comes power. And great leaders understand that when I share my power, I become stronger. That's a concept I learned from Admiral Stockwell, who sadly spent seven years in the Hanoi Hilton. He was a colleague there of John McCain. And when he came out, he studied Stoic philosophy and came up with this theory of leadership that great leaders achieve more, obviously, when they share, but giving away the power. It doesn't diminish the leader. It really enhances the power of the organization and, in turn, the leader. When we hoard power, which is what hierarchy does, we don't create buy-in. We create compliance, but not commitment. So that's why organizations over the past maybe 50 years, 30 years, have evolved into more distributed leadership, if you will, just because it can work more effectively. Now, at the same time, when we think of distributive leadership, that doesn't mean that there's not a role for hierarchy. We do need people to have an ultimate decision authority on major things, but not everything. Because I think it was the former CEO of General Electric said that if I don't make enough key decisions, the place is an asylum. If I make too many, good people go away. Because we all want a stake in our future and want to own our future. But at the same time, we want to have a, a connection and this commitment to doing something better. It sounds to me like when you want to be in a space where you share that power, there needs to be a certain level of humbleness, self-awareness, self-confidence that comes with it to be in a place that you're giving power. And I was just going to ask this question. If I'm new in the organization and I feel like I need to accumulate power to get promoted, to be recognized, are those typical trends that people end up having? And what are cures that people could see that there are better ways of doing it, even if you're at a bottom of an organization? Right. I understand your question. I might, rather than accumulate power, which can be perceived as a pejorative, I would say accumulate influence. And I actually wrote a book about this called Lead Your Boss, which is all about influencing from below or the middle. And that's how great organizations really succeed. We have this, I call it the myth of the hierarchy, where the CEO says, we're all going to do X tomorrow, and everybody does it. Well, it doesn't really happen that way unless well-intentioned women and men in the center of the organization carry that forward. And so it's all about influence. And how do you build influence? Well, it's through your competence, i.e. doing your job well. Then it's your credibility. 
In other words, do other people believe in you? And then the third part is confidence. Do you show confidence in yourself? And do others have confidence in you? So those are the aspects of influence which any person at any time should seek to drive. And from influence will come authority, or if you will, power. But it's done the right way because you have the competence, the credibility, and the confidence to pull it off. Wow. I love, John, how you are a wealth of information from so many different dimensions here that we can just source all the types of insights that we need for people to understand what it means to be a superhuman at work. And what I wanted to do is bring it back to this idea of grace, because I know when it comes to leading with grace, there's five specific things that people need to be aware of that they need to do, which actually spells out the acronym. And I'd love to dive right into that so that people can understand what's my action if I want to lead from grace. Right. I turn grace into an acronym, which is G is generosity, which is the will to do something for others. Okay. The next is respect. Looking at individuals and respecting them for the dignity of the work they do. Action is nothing happens in your brain as a leader. You have to act upon it to move the organization forward. Next one, C, is compassion, which is the caring for others. Caring for others and the humanity of them. And E is energy, that spirit that catalyzes the organization to move forward. The generosity, respect, and compassion are a single unit, as are action and energy. And this is where I give some strength, if you will, to the concept of grace. Sometimes grace could be perceived as a passive thing, but it's really not. From a leadership perspective, it's what you do with it. So you must act and you have to energize. But this concept of generosity, it gets back to sharing power and authority. But also when we think about respect, so often in our culture, let's say I hear about you, oh, that Jason guy, eh, I don't know about him, you know, because uh, I heard he got crosswise with his boss. If I'm your new boss, Jason, I'm going to look at you and I'm going to say, I don't care what other people said about him. I'm going to give Jason the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to let Jason prove himself to me, and we'll take it from there. So looking at people from an open-hearted standpoint rather than a close-minded standpoint. That's where respect comes in. I want to inject here because I feel like respect is the one that some people might be doing not as effectively as possible because even in that aspect where you hear someone say something about a colleague that might be working under you, that study that comes to mind is when a teacher gets told three students are excellent and those three students naturally become the best students in the class just because of that bias. How does someone make sure that they don't get biased from the feedback and the conversations that happen and can truly show up with respect and equality when they meet these people? That's a good point, and I'll give you a real-life example. And it was when Alan Mulally became CEO of Ford Motor Company in 2006. The company was very nearly going under and would have. And so Alan was hired from Boeing, and the perception on the street was that he's going to go into Ford Motor Company and torch the place. Well, actually, he did just the opposite. A few people left. I mean, we're talking about people at the top. Left, and they basically self-selected. What Alan did was come in with a kind of a clean slate idea because he was new to the organization, but he respected the organization. And he said, my gosh, Ford has been around for more than 100 years. They've got to be doing something right. If they're not doing so well now, they've done things right. So he went in with an attitude of respect for the organization and respect for the individuals. 
he looked at the good side of individuals. And that's what I've heard a lot of leaders who are hired from the outside take that mindset. How can we do this together? And from an employee standpoint, it's an opportunity to clean slate. You know, all of us have mistakes we've made. And sometimes we can get crosswise with our boss. Sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's a mixture. But if I have a new boss who's looking at me respectfully, I have an opportunity to rewrite the script. And I love because here you're saying if you start with this idea of respect first, whether you are the leader that's coming into a team or hiring someone on your team, or even if you are an employee that's dealing with your boss, if you start from that place of respect, you're almost having a positive bias, which becomes eventually something that allows better cohesion within the team, better productivity, better output. And it comes from an internal shift in your own mind that you've chosen respect over judgment. Jason, you've given me a good idea that I hadn't articulated, but you're dead on and I'm going to steal it. It's positive bias. That's really what grace facilitates. It is looking at the brighter side of things. And that's why I actually wrote grace, because we look at our world today, societally and politically, and there's a lot of division and discord and dissension. And that's true. At the same time, there's a lot of good things happening. And so my book, Grace, is really a celebration of all the good things that are happening in our culture. And they're happening, let's think of less system-wide, but more individually. And they're coming by people, just as you say, acting with positive bias. You know, it's interesting because even if I look from a country perspective, I forget who I was having this conversation with, just I was having judgments against their country. They were American and I'm Canadian. So they were saying like, oh my God, I hate what's happening in America and everything. And I went like, hold on, do you understand that the reason your country is great is you can have these conversations, you can have awareness of its dysfunctions and nobody's going to get shot this is not something to be taken for granted. There's so many amazing things that people don't focus on in America. And I speak particularly of America because they seem to be all getting the bad press, but there's so many amazing things that I would hope that people can look at, focus on, and that actually becomes the bias that can help every other person within that country look at it and make the changes that help it progress. Right, and part of what Grace facilitates is two concepts that we don't talk enough about, particularly in our age of anti-social media, because we are so quick to jump to pejorative, to bias, to negativity, and that's forgiveness and mercy. All of us deserve forgiveness if we acknowledge it, but even if we don't, let's say, Jason, you do something harmful to me, and let's say you cheat me. I lend you $100 and you run away with it and you say, I'm never paying you back. Okay, you've wronged me, all right? I can spend time saying that Jason is an SOB, he owes me money and all this. What am I doing? I'm dragging myself down to a negative. I'm wasting energy on a cruel act. I'm giving you more time than you deserve. How much better is it to say, look, I forgive him. If he doesn't pay me back, fine, okay? At the same time, it's also mercy. We as humans are very frail, fragile creatures. We have great strength and we have great resilience, but we all make mistakes, okay? And so we all deserve a break, you know? Second chances, third chances, whatever. And that's where mercy comes in. And grace is that facilitator, again, of forgiveness 
and mercy. And the world is so much better when we show mercy toward others. I love it. I love also a word to bring into this, which is the idea of understanding. Because if I had to go and steal $100 from you, that probably doesn't feel good to me. It's probably not my natural bias. So there must be some stuff going on in my life that's so bad that I feel like I need to go take from another human being. And I feel like right now, if we would continue down this path, we would be having dialogues around spirituality and understanding humanity, which I think is a beautiful dialogue to have. That's a good point you made, and I get to it in the book because I profile Father Greg Boyle, who is a Jesuit priest working in East L.A., and he's founded more than 30 years ago the largest gang intervention program in America called Homeboy Industries. And he was working at a parish in East L.A., the poorest of the poor, if you will, and L.A., had and still has a gang problem. But a lot of gang bangers didn't really want to be part of the organization anymore, but what are they going to do? Who's going to hire them? You know? And so that's where Father G, as he's called, stepped in. And he said, I'm going to create a job for him. And so the first thing they did was, I think it was a bakery, and then they've proliferated different other community things. Father Boyle talks about connectedness. And here's what's important for those of us who are, quote, outside his world. And we are quick to judgment. You know, he said he grew up in a stable, middle-class, Irish Catholic environment. And he said, I couldn't have failed if I tried. But he said, you take a kid who didn't know his father or his mother was a drug addict. I mean, gang life was an option. So I have to find a way to connect with people like that. This is something Mother Teresa did, working with the poorest of the poor. But when I go to someone like that, I mean, obviously, Homeboy Industries is a recognized program, and it's got lots of things going for it. But when we see someone who's in need of help, and I see, Jason, you're struggling, the tendency is to go in and say, well, Jason, you got this problem. Do this. Boom, 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 boom. Okay? Well, maybe I'm giving you good advice, but in doing so, I'm alienating you. How about I just sit down with you and just occupy space with you or have a conversation. And if it comes up that you are struggling, I'll say, do you want to have a conversation about it? And then if you say yes or no, we talk. And then if you want my advice, I give it to you. That's where the grace facilitates connection. And that's what Father Boyle teaches and preaches in his example, but also in his writings. John, it's so beautiful because I'm thinking here as you're talking about it, how, you know, you're clearly demonstrating this idea of compassion, which is within the framework of grace. So when there's actual care, then there's a need for understanding, which is also a sign of respect. This Father Boyle took a massive action. And what I want to do is kind of draw the parallel back into the organization where some leaders that don't operate this way do the same thing as going to an employee and being like, hey, looks like you're messing up. Here's what you need to do. Read this book, do this program, follow these steps, stop messing up. And again, creates that kind of alienation between the leader and the employee, which doesn't make it seem like they're working in a team, but rather working on a factory floor. And so this seems like a very powerful system that people can use as a leader is to actually just sit with people and hold space. Can you elaborate more on how I can apply this? Yeah, if we go back to the acronym, acting on generosity, when a leader gives of himself, i.e. sets the right example, sacrifices for the good of the organization. What do I mean sacrifice? 
We know executives who forego pay raises so they can be shared with others. But sacrifice in another sense of if I'm going to ask the team to come in on Saturday, I will be there on Saturday with them. Okay, I will invest my time with them if necessary. And generosity is generative in the sense that the more you give, the more you get back. And it may not be directly, but you and I, I think, both believe in karma. Eventually, good things will happen, okay? Generosity isn't something that you keep account of. Like, Jason did me a favor, so I owe him a favor, and two points for this, two points for that. Then you just, that's craziness. The other part is respect. We talked earlier about assuming the best intentions of others. That's the important thing. Action is that mobilize and show people how to do it. Be that person who takes the first step, who stands up for conviction, stands up for other people, shares credit, okay? And then the compassion is what we were talking about, the connectedness with other people and spending time with them. Understanding from the sense of compassion, it's all about love. Now, we say love one another, which is a good concept, of course. It's rooted in Christianity, but the way you act in a workplace It's rooted in respect. But at the same time, I care about you as a human being. I'm going to have an understanding of you that you are an employee. I'm going to look at you as a contributor. But I'm going to also look at you as a human in the sense that you have other things going on in your life. Maybe there's tension in your family. You've got a troublesome child, elder care situation, whatever. And so I'm going to look at you as the whole person. And I'm going to have an understanding of that. And the final thing is this energy, which is twofold. As a leader, I've got to energize the organization, catalyze it, move it forward. Same time, I got to take care of myself. Okay, I've got to eat right, exercise, all of these things, so I can be in my peak game to facilitate the organization moving forward. I love it. That energy part, I wanted to elaborate a bit more before we let this go, is the fact that as I operate from a place of grace... I understand these principles. I understand how it actually helps me, helps others, just makes life more enjoyable to follow. Where does this energy play in the sense that if I apply this, do I end up being more tired at the end of the day? Does this demand more energy? Because here you're talking about taking actions, compassion, being generous. Are we losing energy in the process? Like how does that balance the equation? It's a really good question, Jason. It's a powerful question. I'm going to default to something that Adam Grant, he's a professor at Wharton, and he's quoted in my book. He talked about his first book was Givers and Takers, and we know who the takers are. But he talks about giving, and those who succeed at giving or are compassionate, one of the ways they guard against burnout is they don't get overly emotionally invested. So like a father boil, I mean, he's dealt with really hardship issues. And is it tiring? Yes. But there's a limit to what the individual can do. So in a sense, and I don't know this specifically for Father Boyle, but you do what you can do, you help when you can help, and you keep moving forward. But yes, leadership is a job. It's a tough job. It's a tiring job. You're absolutely right. There's no easy thing. But I think in the long run, here's what happens. And this is what I often coach individuals moving from individual contributor positions to team management or organizational leadership is know where your energy comes from. When an individual contributor, your energy comes from your accomplishment of accomplishing your tasks and being rewarded for that. When you're a manager, you are rewarded 
for the group effort. And that, for some people, is very energizing. Tony Schwartz has written extensively about energy, and he's got an energy audit you can do on yourself. I like to think that energy, too, is generative. The more I give to others, the help the organization, the team spirit, all of this kind of stuff, camaraderie, that's energizing. But you're absolutely right. It can wear you out. And that's why leaders have a lifespan. I mean, not, I'm not talking actuarially, but... It's only so long you can do certain jobs, and you have to be cognizant of yourself, what you can and what you can't do. So it's a good question. Again, goes back to that self-awareness and everything. So John, thank you so much for spending the time with us and explaining and walking us through this grace process. And for everybody listening here, I hope you understand one of the core concepts that kept being driven, especially towards the end of this conversation is about generosity. And there's one quote that I'd love to bring into the conversation, which is, I believe Joe Vitale quoted this and he said, you can't outgive the universe. And so as much as you give, there's no way you can outgive all the blessings that always are happening around you every day. And I feel like that also becomes a source of its own energy in the process of just applying these concepts and operating from a place of grace. Absolutely. And especially want to think that we get more than we get back. Maybe not immediately, but you'll see it. And this is where legacy comes in, for, especially for leaders. Have I left the organization in a better place? If you have your memory of you and all the good things you have done will live on in the example of others, those who pick up the mantle from you. John, thanks again for spending time with us. And everybody listening, I particularly want you to pay attention to the one aspect we talked about earlier, which is the whole idea of respect. Just acknowledging that you can treat everyone with respect, you can understand their background, you don't pass any judgment, will automatically make the people within your surroundings, whether they're colleagues, bosses, or individuals that work for you, to actually start being more productive and living up to the respect that you've actually attributed to them because everyone wants to work at their best. And if you're not placing any judgment on them, you're not holding them back from their own incredible performance, productivity, amazingness in the process. If you like these concepts, be sure to pick up Grace, A Leader's Guide to a Better Us. There's so many more concepts that get described in this. And remember, we're talking about generosity, respect, take action with these concepts, have compassion for others and the energy. It is in limited supplies, but I'm pretty sure that you can outgive the universe. And as you apply your leadership style as somebody with grace, you will see that that energy comes back and is much more fulfilling in the process. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And John, thanks again for being on the show. My pleasure, Jason. And keep on doing the great things you're doing. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This was an amazing interview with John Baldoni. And like I said, pick up the book, Grace. It's an amazing piece of literature that allows you to come at a place of grace when you are leading and you can do this no matter where you are within your organization. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, be sure to leave us a review and tell us what you're going to be applying in your life as well as share with anybody who needs to hear this so we can all operate from grace and make the world a better place. This has been your host, Jason Campbell. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, take care. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast.